It's officially pro day season in the pre-draft process, and not all pro, pro days are created equal, as evidenced in Columbus today with 32 teams descending at Ohio State's pro day. How did the Seahawks fit into all of this, and which players might they be interested in from the Buckeyes? We're going to be breaking it all down on a new Locked On Seahawks. You are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Greetings, 12. This is Corbin Smith, host of the Locked On Seahawks podcast, your daily Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Glad, as always, to be joined by my co-host in crime, Rob Rang, and a special thanks to all the 12s out there, whether you're listening in the Philippines or you're listening nearby in Bellevue. We greatly appreciate you making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We're in the midst of the second week of free agency, and things have really slowed down, but there are pro days, so there's plenty of the NFL headed every month to make sure that there's something exciting going on. We'll be breaking down what happened today in the pro day world, including the Seahawks. And plus, we'll answer your mailbag question. Take a look at which needs we think still stand out as the biggest ones to fill for the Seahawks halfway through the offseason. Now for your lead story here on our Wednesday edition of Locked On Seahawks. This is officially pro day season across the college football landscape. And whether you think they are significant or not, Teams are going to be sending their coaches, their scouts, their executives to the ones that they think are most important. But there's one set of pro days that's more important than others, and that's your teams that were college football playoff contenders the season before, and most notably, Ohio State. No surprise, though, the Seahawks sent the cavalry today to Columbus. They weren't the only team. I think there were hundreds of coaches in that building today for today's pro day with C.J. Stroud on display being the headliner. But we know Ohio State, Rob, kicks out a lot of first-round talent, one of the prestigious blue uh, blue chip universities in college football. Every year they're dishing out talent. Not a surprise to see Pete Carroll and company there watching a number of different prospects. Well, it, it wasn't a surprise to see Pete Carroll and John Schneider there, but Corbin, I was stunned to see that there were eight, eight members of the Seattle Seahawks scouting and coaching uh, ranks at, at the Ohio State Pro Day today. Eight. I, I still am having a hard time just kind of wrapping my brain around that fact. I, I've been covering the Seahawks and their NFL draft preparation for an awful long time, Corbin, and I've never seen them send very, very few times have I seen them send even half that number. I've never seen Seattle send eight representatives. Uh, now, they weren't the only ones. The Carolina Panthers, as you might expect, they were headed, of course, up by their general manager, Scott Fitter, former Seahawks scout. But, you know, they had their owner um, and, and many other members as well. They also sent eight to uh, the Ohio State Pro Day. And, and you understand why, because as you said, I mean, this is a perennial playoff contender. This is a team that has possibly the number one overall pick in the draft and C.J. Stroud at the quarterback position. They have a wide receiver, Jackson Smith and Jigba, who, you know, some people think are going to be a top 
seven, eight pick. Other people think that he can slip all the way out into, into the second round because there were so many questions about his speed. And he kind of answered some of those questions today. You, you have the two offensive tackles. Both of them are expected to possibly be first round selections themselves. You have the center and Luke Whipler, a very young offensive lineman uh you have a a trades-based edge rusher and zach harrison there's so much talent at ohio state i did expect there to be just basically the biggest crowd that we would see at any pro day with all due respect to georgia alabama they are coming up this week as well i I still was fascinated by just how many members of the seahawks were at ohio state and uh, and who they were keeping a close eye on throughout the workout Well, it's obvious that C.J. Stroud was the player that they were having the most eyes on, just looking at who went on this trip. Offensive coordinator Shane Waldron was there. I'm going to put the picture back up for our YouTube listeners. You can see uh, Pete Carroll. I don't know what you would describe that expression that he has there, taking a look at C.J. Stroud. It's almost like that meme where you've got the guy looking at a girl on the back when he's holding his own girlfriend's hand. That's kind of the face that Pete Carroll's got going on here. But next to him, Shane Waldron, a much more subdued expression. But those two, you had the new quarterback coach, Greg Olson, as well. And then you had John Schneider, Nolan Teasley, who's the new assistant general manager. They're Vice personnel, uh, uh, president of personnel, Willie Schneider. I mean, they brought the house to this pro day today. And you just don't see that normally. Like you said, even from the Seahawks, if it's a player, set of players they're really interested in, they might send a handful of coaches and scouts, but sending eight, this was unheard of. I can't remember a time that they sent this many coaches, scouts, executives to one pro day. And that just tells you the amount of talent that Ohio State has. And obviously with a top five pick, they are in a position they might be able to get one of these players too. And so this isn't just checking things out just to do your due diligence. Guys like C.J. Stroud might potentially be there. He might be gone at number one. We don't know how things are going to unfold here. But I think the other prospects you mentioned are certainly worth discussing too. If Stroud's there at number five, you know John Schneider's going to have a hard time passing up on that opportunity. But they still could need a center. Luke Whipler is a really good center. Both their tackles, as you mentioned, could be first-round picks. They have a top 30 visit, either scheduled or already met with Dewan Jones, the massive six-foot-eight tackle, who I think has 90-inch arms. I mean, he's unheard of length at the tackle position. They're supposed to meet with him or already met with him. You mentioned Harrison as well. And I got to throw this name out there as well. Brad Robinson, their long snapper, was there today. And by the way, the Seahawks don't have a long snapper on their roster right now. So maybe John Schneider and company were taking a cursory view at the long snapper as well here because we know that he's one of the better long snappers coming from Ohio State. So it's just a ton of talent. They're doing their due diligence in that regard. But there are a number of players here that I could very easily see the Seahawks pick. And there's a reason they sent so many coaches today to check out this pro day yeah exactly and, and i'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about the quarterback because again i i think that um that most of us believe that cj stroud is going to be if not the number one overall selection to the carolina panthers and probably number two overall selection to the houston texas not likely to be in play for seattle all the way down there at five but there's a chance uh you know and seattle has the ammunition potentially to go up and get him if they really fell in love with the quarterback and you know considering the momentum that cj stroud has built for himself with the way that he performed against georgia and 
and the way that he threw the ball. I mean, he beautifully, he was, at least in my opinion, was easily the most impressive of the passers at the combine. And then to do the exact same thing here at his pro day, showed some fire, um, you know, and just kind of rah, rah and his teammates on throughout their, their workouts. That was kind of the buzz that I got from scouts is again, just that he showed some of that leadership that you wanted to see as a quarterback. You didn't always see that at times. So anyways, I, I was impressed with that. Uh, you know, Jackson Smith and Jigba, to me, he he was the wide receiver that I projected the Seahawks to take in the very first mock draft that I that I wrote. Uh, and, and I do think that he makes an awful lot of sense for them for an awful lot of reasons. I, I surprised some people. I, I ranked him sixth. Uh, among the wide receivers in this class, but that's a little bit deceptive, Corbin, because I ranked three different wide receivers at top 50 grades. He was one of them. I, I think for a club like the Seahawks, who have two superstars on the outside that have elite speed, Jackson Smith and Jigba inside could just absolutely be a monster. And, and I think that he could be a monster for a lot of clubs. And the speed that he showed today gives some evidence of that. So, again, to me, that's one of the reasons why this was such a, a highly anticipated workout. We talked already about the tackles. I'm, I'm going to focus again on Zach Harrison. To me, he is an edge rusher that I think makes an awful lot of sense for the Seahawks because he has length, he has power, he has explosiveness. I, I mentioned this a, a couple of weeks ago, month, months ago maybe even, when we discussed some of the prospects that really intrigued us in this draft from a Seahawks perspective, trait-based evaluation, the way that Pete Carroll and Josh Schneider always have done. Harrison, his length, he's got super long arms. He is powerful, and he impressed me against Michigan and, and made some splashy plays. He's never been the player expected considering how, how many traits he really has, frankly. But I think that he's one of those guys who winds up being a better NFL player than a college player. And, and so to me, I think that he is some of the reason why that, that Seattle descended on the Ohio State Pro Day the way that they did as well. Yeah, and he could be a guy late day two, early day three with the traits that he has. Could end up being a steal, speaking of Harrison. And they have one other player that has caught my attention for late day three, and that would be safety Ronnie Hickman. That's another player that I could see. And now Seattle, they've got like 90 safeties in their roster, so really no reason to draft one, right? And yet, with Jamal Adams' injury history, the fact Quandre Diggs isn't getting any younger – that might be a position late with 10 draft picks. They decide to take a flyer on a guy. Hickman could certainly be a player they look at. Again, Ohio State, they are an NFL factory. They are one of those schools that just kicks out NFL stars year after year after year. And this year, they've got a really nice little class. They could have as many as four players go in the first round, first round and a half from this football team. And so that really gives them a great opportunity to continue pushing that as one of the blue chip programs in college football. Coming up next, we're going to be answering your questions in our weekly mailbag segment. Don't go away. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast. This episode is brought your way by FanDuel. We're well past the midway point of the NBA season, so now is the perfect time to download the FanDuel app, America's number one sports book, because new customers get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's bonus bets back if your first bet doesn't win. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Then you can bet on everything from the money line to points scored and three-pointers drained. I'm a big fan of betting on player props, including FanDuel's player parlay builder. For example, tonight you can bet on Tobias Harris to score 20 points at plus 370. 
Plus, FanDuel even lets you combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with a same-game parlay. So don't miss the chance to get your first no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 in bonus bets by going to FanDuel.com slash locked on. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on to learn more. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. You're listening to the Wednesday edition of the Locked On Seahawks podcast, your daily Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm host Corbin Smith. Glad, as always, to be joined by my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. And a special thanks, as always, to all the 12s that are listening in and making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. We're going to have our mailbag on Wednesday. We've been kind of just piecing it in during the week when we have opportunities this time of year. You don't know when the news is going to break. Heck, while we're doing these questions, maybe a free agent signing will be announced. Probably. Here on Locked On Seahawks. <laughs> Rob, let's get to our first question. And this is coming from Ferdy Velasco tweeting, if Julian Love can start at nickel, do you think they kick Kobe Bryant to the outside full time opposite Tariq Woolen, or does he just rotate with Love? I think that he rotates. I think that, that Kobe Bryant can play that outside position. He proved that previously at Cincinnati. But I, I also think that, you know, this is the reality of today's NFL, Corbin, is that you just cannot rely on one player to be able to hold up over the course of an entire NFL season, especially if you're thinking about possible playoff, uh, you know, uh, contention as I think that Seattle is. Uh, and, and so I think that this is just set up to be a, a competition be, between Love and, and Kobe Bryant they made the best man win. I think Trey Brown potentially could be in that mix as well. Looking at the next question from Corb555. we got to get all the Corbin tweets in that we can on this show. If the Seahawks put together a great defensive group from free agency in the draft, how long will it take for totally new personnel to get in sync? Will the first few games be rough, even with star players? I can't remember a team with this many changes. It is a really good point because we saw the struggles early last year on defense with a new scheme. And obviously some of these guys are going to be in year two in that scheme. So you would expect growth from that standpoint, but they could have a completely brand new defensive line. They could have a completely brand new linebacker group until Jordan Brooks gets back. And there's going to be some newcomers in the secondary they're trying to sprinkle in. So yes, I think there's a very strong probability that there's going to be some growing pains that might be curbed a little bit by the fact you will have a number of veterans that did play in this system if they bring Bobby Wagner back in by chance, I think that will help too. Even though he didn't play in the system last year, he played a similar one with the Rams. And he's Bobby Wagner. He's going to be able to jump in and play in whatever scheme you're running, can pick up the young guys. But it is going to be a growing experience for this defense. There's no question about it, especially with us anticipating there's going to be a number of rookies joining a group that already has some really young guys will be going into year number two. Third question from Lonnie Anderson. This one's for Rob tweeting, how about a discussion regarding the possibility of the Texans or the Colts passing up on a quarterback with picks two and four? Is it possible that it happens, and how much would that shake up the draft? I mean, sure, it's possible it happens. I'd be stunned. I, I really would be. I, I think that the Houston Texans, as much as I like the the young quarterback that they have there, I, I just like the quarterbacks that would be available to them at number two more. Uh, again, we're talking about either Bryce Young from Alabama or C.J. Stroud from Ohio State. I, I think that both those guys are superstars. I really do. And so I, I think that the Houston Texans at number two, at least, are, are going to be taking a quarterback. Indianapolis Colts, I think that they basically painted themselves back into a corner a little bit and that they need to take a young quarterback. Um, you know, should quarterbacks come off the board, the top three picks, that would 
likely require the Arizona Cardinals at number three to trade out. And again, all three quarterbacks are off the board at number four, uh, at number four when the Colts are on the clock. Then I think that that might change their, you know, what, what they're planning on doing. Because frankly, I don't know that the Indianapolis Colts are quite as ready to take a player like, say, Anthony Richardson, as they might be more of a pro ready kind of a guy like Will Levis, for example. And so, again, if you see a big run on quarterbacks early, then the Colts at four, they could be a little bit more of a wild card. And I think that would create a little bit of chaos for a team like the Seahawks, because I, I think that they would love for one of these quarterbacks to still be on the board at number five, whether the Seahawks want to take that quarterback or not, there's going to be an awful lot more interest from NFL teams out there who are getting a little bit desperate seeing all these quarterbacks come off the board. So again, to me, that's really the, the conversation here is what does happen. I do expect to see quarterbacks come off the board. Number one, Carolina, number two, a Houston, Arizona. I still think they stick and pick with one of the great defensive players, probably Will Anderson for the Colts, probably go with the quarterback. I still think it could be Levis and that creates an interesting opportunity for Seattle. Number five, Anthony Richardson on the board, Tyree Wilson on the board, possible trade down scenarios. Again, that's the scenario I think is likeliest. Should the quarterback or should the, the Colts at four, the Texans at two decide to change things again, it could be a little bit chaotic. Yeah, and it's the draft. You never know what's going to happen. At the same sure. time, it feels very unlikely that those two teams are going to be leaving those top five picks with anything other than a quarterback. They desperately need them in order to compete against each other in the AFC South. And our next question from Michael Hendrickson tweets, I understand the benefit of keeping interior linebackers clean so they can defend the run, but isn't this difficult to do from a 3-4 set, especially against gap schemes and power rushing attacks? Do the Seahawks need bigger linebackers who can take on and shed blocks? So I'll answer that second part of the question first. Yeah, they need to get bigger in the middle. And some of these teams are finding ways to use 230, 235 pound linebackers in three, four schemes that play bigger than their size. And there's not a lot of guys that are 240 to 250 range at the position anymore. College football, you're hard pressed to find linebackers built like that because of how wide open the spread passing games are in college football. But in the NFL, with the way teams run the ball, especially what we saw last year, it seems like we are now entering a cycle where the run game is going to be more prominent again. You need to have somebody that can take on blocks. And it's not necessarily just being 240 plus pounds. There's a physicality aspect and I want to to get off of blocks. As far as the first part of the question, it really depends on your front line. I think a perfect 3-4 defense, you have a number of guys that can two-gap up front. And when that happens, offensive line that don't get to the second level to begin with, and that frees things up for your linebackers to make plays. If you're like the Seahawks last year when they tried to use those read and react two-gapping principles early in the year, you're going to have creases that three semi-trucks could, uh, semi -trucks could drive through. And obviously that did not work out well for the Seahawks. So at the end of the day, it's not as simple as just having bigger linebackers. Your defensive line's got to do their job as well. And that doesn't mean you have to be two-gap principles. You can be a one-gap three-four. The Seahawks have done that before but you're going to have to hope that that penetration is able to keep your linebackers free and disrupt things as well. Next question for Rob specifically. This is a great question, by the way, coming from John. Rob, when you are scouting college players, how do you weigh the player versus the system that they are in? Not only how the player benefits from the system, also how it may hinder their potential at the next level. Oh, I like the last part, um, how it may hinder their potential at the next level too. Um, you know, I – I really try to evaluate just the player as an athlete first. 
Um, you know, do, do you see that quick twitch? Do, do you see the explosive power? Um, you know, obviously their size, you know, are, are they bigger, stronger, you know, kind of a thing that way. And, and then are they tough guys, uh, regardless of position? Are, are they physical? Are, you know, are, are they competitive? Um, so I'm evaluating all those things. And those things to me kind of transcend scheme. Um, and then if they've put up a bunch of numbers, let's say if they're a wide receiver and a spread offense, you expect them to put up a bunch of numbers, you know, those kind of things. You, I, I try to take those things into account and see what the scheme, what, what is the scheme that they were recruited to in likely cases. You know, the, some of these college recruiters are pretty darn good. Their college coaches are pretty darn good. They're, they're putting these, these players in positions to succeed. So are they really, are, are these put in offenses or like, for example, Jalen Hurt, the wide receiver, Jalen Hyatt, excuse me, the wide receiver for Tennessee. He's just a track guy. I mean, this guy can fly in, in Tennessee's offense as, you know, a vertical threat down the field. I mean, it's perfect. And so he had an unbelievable season this past year. To me, that's a perfect fit between scheme and his individual talent. Now, does that translate to the NFL? In Hyatt's case, of course, straight line speed always. But at the same time, you had better put him in a system that allows him to go deep rather than asking him to do a bunch of short, intermediate kind of routes because that's not really his game. So I, I think that you have to kind of look at the individual traits that the player has and then do the traits that they're playing at that college level. Do those traits actually translate to the NFL? So it's a complicated process. Every player is his own individual. Um, but at the same time, to me, that that's part of the investigative aspect of scouting that I absolutely love. Great answer there. And, and just adding on to that, you know, when I do, and I'm not an NFL scout like what you are, but when I'm looking at players, I try to, I'd say I put scheme at like 20, 25%. Uh, to yeah. me, it's important, but I'm looking more at the traits and I'm looking at the consistent effort. I'm looking for guys that yeah. I'm able to find good plays consistently through their film, not just highlight real guys, because that's where you can get in big trouble when you're like, oh man, I watched a five minute highlight reel on this guy. Yeah, but what did he do the rest of the game? And you see a guy that takes plays off or you see a number of plays where they make big mistakes. Those are the things you have to be able to find when you're looking at players. So I think scheme matters, but it would be a smaller piece of the pie than some of those other pieces that I think are critical to be successful at the next level. And this next question coming from Tom Page, another really good question. I asked Bob Condota, Seattle Times reporter, if there was a chance the Seahawks draft a cornerback at number five. And he said, absolutely not. The Seahawks front office would not do that. Do you agree? Why or why not? So I agree with the premise of pick number five, because this is the Seattle Seahawks we're talking about. They have never picked a corner under Pete Carroll and John Schneider earlier than the third round with Shaquille Griffin in 2017. They just don't do it. So I can't see them picking a corner at number five. Where I might disagree is if, as we talked about some on yesterday's episode, if Seattle trades down from number five, say to like pick nine or 10, and you have somebody like Devin Witherspoon from Illinois, or somehow if Gonzalez from Oregon is still there, I think he'll be gone at that point. But if one of those top corners is there at number 10, and you're looking from a best player available standpoint, which John Schneider made that clear at the combine, that's how he's handling things now, rather than just squeezing a need. If they're looking best player available, corner might be the pick there. And 
Devin Witherspoon or Gonzalez, one of those guys, is going to immediately give Mike Jackson a run to be the starter on that left side. And across from Tariq Woolen, it gives you a dynamic secondary. Do I think it happens? Probably not. But I would not rule it out if they trade down. At number five, I agree with Bob completely. I don't see the Seahawks going away from what they've done in the past and, and stunning people picking a corner at pick number five. Coming up next, the Seahawks are now a week and a half into free agency. They've made a number of moves to bolster their roster, but there are still plenty of positions that need to be improved in the rest of free agency as well as the upcoming draft. Rob and I are going to be dishing out our top three positional needs and some rookies, incoming rookies, that will be the right players to bring in to fix that issue on Seattle's roster. We'll get to that coming up here next on our Wednesday edition of Locked On Seahawks. This episode is brought your way by Altman Football GM. If you listen to our podcast regularly, you know how much I love the mobile game, Altman Football GM. And if you ever dreamed of becoming a general manager like John Schneider, managing your own football franchise, your dream can come true. This game allows you to do so. Manage every strategic aspect of your team, play through the season, and lead your team to glory. You're responsible for everything from hiring the right coaches and coordinators to trading players, making draft picks, and navigating your franchise through free agency and the draft, as well as the ups and downs of a season. All this comes in a challenging and realistic game world. So if you want to give John Schneider a run for his money running your own team, this is the way to go. Ultimate Football GM is completely free and playable offline. You can play on the go as you want and when you want to. It's a blast, and our listeners should join in the fun in their own league. Locked on Seahawks listeners get a 100% free boost to their franchise when they use the promo code Locked On. That's in all caps in the game store that's locked on in all caps. So make sure to check it out today. Download the game by visiting ultimate-gm.com or to look it up in the app store. That's ultimate-gm.com, ultimate football GM. Start your dynasty today. You're listening to the Wednesday edition of Locked on Seahawks. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Glad as always to be joined by my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. And a special thanks to all the 12s out there, as always, for making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. For your second listen, make sure to check out the Locked on NFL Scouting with Draft Dudes podcast. From free agency to the draft, salary cap management, and more, join NFL experts Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino as they take you through what it's like to build a successful NFL franchise every Monday through Friday. Find Locked on NFL Scouting with the Draft Dudes wherever you get your podcast and on YouTube. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, Rob, we're now a week and a half into free agency, which really means free agency is mostly over. And yet you look at the number of good players that are still out there. There's going to be some moves that trickle in, maybe for a lot less money than those players thought they were going to get when free agency started. But nonetheless, most of the money has been spent at this point and teams are shifting their focus back towards the draft with pro days and getting ready for that three-day festivity in Kansas City. The Seahawks have made a number of moves. They signed five outside free agents. They've re-signed several of their own players. They barely have any cap space available, as we talked about a little bit yesterday, but there are still needs to fill with this football team. And so I'm going to dish the mic to you first, Rob, with where the roster is at right now. What is the most glaring need, in your opinion, for the Seahawks to address before the start of the 2023 season? And what's a draft prospect that could help fix that problem? Well, uh, I'm going to do. I'm going to take the same strategy that you took a moment ago, Corbin. I'm going to kind of answer that in two parts. Uh, I think the most glaring need for the Seahawks right now is probably at the inside linebacker position. But at the same time, I, I have to pause before I am going to endorse any of the inside linebackers in this draft class. Uh, my initial thought was that I still 
like Noah Sewell from Oregon, but I'm not ready to fully endorse him. I want to just kind of watch a little bit more and the way this inside linebacker draft class kind of pans out with all of these pro day workouts. I have not been impressed to this point, and that is one of the areas of concern I've kind of talked about for a while now. On the flip side, I still believe that center is a position of concern. And I think that this center class Corbin has been a little bit underrated. I think everybody is focusing on John Michael Schmitz from Minnesota. And don't get me wrong. I'm a big fan of John Michael Schmitz, but I think Joe Tipman from Wisconsin is a as a player that people are sleeping on. I still believe that center is a position of concern for this club. Look, I, I, I like Brown, the, the player that Seattle brought in from the Detroit Lions. I think that he will likely be uh, a center for Seattle rather than the guard position that he also played for the Lions. I just don't know that he is the long-term answer. And I, I see a number of centers in this class. That I think that could potentially be that. And I think that Joe Tipman, and I might be calling my shot here a little bit. We're recording this on Wednesday, March 22nd. On Thursday, March 23rd, Corbin, I think that Joe Tipman is going to absolutely set the world on fire with his workout. Now, this is a center. To set the world on fire as a center in a pro day workout, that doesn't happen very often. But I'm telling you, I think this guy's going to work out very well. And uh, again, I just think that his combination of athleticism and size, this guy's 6'5", uh, 320 pounds, and has a little bit longer arms than some of the other centers out there. I, I think that he makes an awful lot of sense. I am hoping from a Seahawk enthusiast perspective that perhaps – uh, that that big contingent of Seahawk scouts and evaluators that was at the Ohio State Pro Day, that they maybe they go down to Madison, Wisconsin and see what Joe Tipman can do tomorrow as well. If we were recording this show on Monday, I would have been immediately talking about inside linebacker because I still have major question marks at that position. And there are some prospects that I'm higher on than what you are. I don't think it is a deep linebacker group, though. I would agree with you on that. Then the Seahawks decided to release Al Woods. Now, we talked about why that decision was made on yesterday's episode. We looked at some players that could fill the gap. This is a draft class that doesn't have a lot of those big body nose tackle types, but there are a couple of them that I think in day two could be really good values. And I just look at the depth chart right now. Brian Monet is the only nose tackle in Seattle's roster. He might not play this year because he had a torn ACL and other issues. This was not just a clean ACL tear. They had to repair other things. It was a full reconstructive knee surgery for a 340-plus pound defensive tackle. He might not be ready to play at all this season, and if he does, it's probably going to be in the second half of the year. Al Woods isn't on the roster anymore. Miles Adams is 300 pounds if you put a few weights in his pants. He is not big enough to be a nose tackle in the NFL, and I love Miles Adams. He is a three-tech, though. They just don't have anybody else that can play that position. And they have a lot of 280 to 290 pound guys that are on the roster. They just don't have that girth. I look at the free agent market, not a lot of get, uh, really the best replacement for Al Woods is Al Woods. There's not a lot of other guys on the market right now, but if you can get Siaki Ika from Baylor in the second round at 350 pounds, you want to talk about a space eater who is underrated athletically. He has some issues occasionally with fundamentals, but I think the Seahawks can coach him up on that. And he's got the ceiling to come in day one and start for you. They need to do what they did at the offensive tackle position last year. You can bring in veterans, 
but you need to go get a guy that's going to be a featured nose tackle in a 3-4 defense, and Ika can be that player. So I still think defensive tackle with five guys on the roster right now that are healthy and no nose tackles, I think that that is a critical position they've got to fill, and I think the draft has some good options for them. No, it absolutely does, and that's one of the reasons why the defensive tackle position, I, I would agree with you. I, I think that, you know, what do you want to call it? defensive tackle nose guard, obviously, the big guys inside. Um, I, I really think that that is a huge area of concern for this club, but, but I like some of the, the, the talent that you're going to see here um, on the defensive line in this draft class. Now, I don't necessarily believe there's a lot of nose guards, to your point. If you're trying to replace Al Woods, then Ika, uh, Mozzie Smith from Michigan, as we talked about before, Four. I mean, those are some of the only top kind of 75 kind of candidates that you really are going to be talking about. But I love some of the other big body players that, and I don't know that Seattle necessarily is looking to have just that classic nose guard who's 350 pounds plus. I think that they might have one guy like that. I think they're looking to have several players who are 310 to 320. Um, including obviously some of the players that they currently have. Jaron Reed, of course, fits that box. And, and I think that Javon Dexter from Florida is, is a guy that fits that box as well. And he's 6'6, 315. Um, and, and the power, um, the playmaking ability that he flashes as well, uh, I, I'm just really in, intrigued by him. The, the, the speed that he demonstrated, I, mean, I think he was in the, in the four nines. And again, 312 pounds, I believe, um, is pretty unusual as well. To me, he checks off an awful a lot of boxes as far as being an athlete as far as having great size as far as as far as the physicality and and i want to see what you do against the the, the best competition what did you do against alabama what did you do against georgia you watch the tape and javon dexter was one of the, the florida gators who really stood out this year so to me he is a guy that i think makes some sense not in the first run necessarily um, but I, I do think that uh, that you probably would have to take him somewhere in either you know in the first or second round. I just talked defensive tackles. As I mentioned, if it was earlier in the week and Al Woods was still in the roster, I'd probably be talking about them second on my list. But I flopped defensive tackle and inside linebacker, which is still a major need for this team because Devin Bush, as we talked with Christopher Carter yesterday, this is a guy that's got some upside. He played really well his rookie year, but he just has him in the same player since he tore his ACL. So you don't know what you're going to get from him, and you still need somebody to play next to him with Jordan Brooks likely to miss the start of the season. Devin Bush might just be a one-year guy. He could end up being a rotational player if you draft somebody. And I'm going to continue to pound the table for Jack Campbell from Iowa. And I know he did not run the fastest 40-yard dash time. I was a little disappointed in his 40 time. I thought he'd run in the high four fives. Instead, he was in the mid four sixes. Not a big deal, though, when you consider the other measurements. He had one of the fastest three-cone and short shuttle times. You saw that elite change of direction skill, and he just moved faster when you watch game film. That's really what matters to me. When you turn on Iowa, Lucas Van Ness is a guy that jumps out to me, but Campbell, every play, he's around the football. He knows how to shed off blocks. No, oh, by the way, he's 245 pounds, so he is built like a traditional linebacker, which you would like to have in a 3-4 defense. He's got good ball skills. You could see that just with the way he was doing the drill work. 
at the combine. This guy moves really fluidly in space, has soft hands. He picked off a number of passes the last two years. I love a lot about this kid's game, and I think with his IQ, he was the Campbell Award winner, not named after himself, but he was the Campbell Award winner for a reason. This guy could wear the green dot for you right away. He's that smart. He has that good of football instincts, and so I'm hammering the table with one of those second-round picks. If you can get a chance to get Jack Campbell – and you don't add to other linebackers and free agency, that is a guy that could be a long-time starter for you and start on day one. You put him next to Jordan Brooks when he's healthy, you have a dynamic dynamic pair of linebackers that can both move, that can both cover, that can blitz, complete package, and it makes this defense that much better. No, it really does. I mean, I, I tried to make the point a moment ago about Javon Dexter making plays. I mean, Jack Campbell, I mean, talking about some of the biggest plays all, all year long. I mean, there, there's a reason why he was as decorated as he was. So I think that you make an excellent point there. And and I think that's the perfect segue to kind of wrap this up. For me, at, at the wide receiver position, I think it still is a position of concern. And, and I'm looking for a playmaker. Um, I, I, again, I just, with all due respect to DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett, Seattle has to have more. And, and I think that they have to have somebody who does not rely on Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf to create opportunities for them. They can do it themselves. And Jackson Smith and Jigba from Ohio State, I mentioned him previously as one of the reasons I think that Seattle, you know, just descended um, on the Ohio State Pro Day is because he is absolutely one of those candidates, but another one. An even better playmaker, in my opinion, and one who kind of I think checks an awful lot of Seahawks boxes is Zay Flowers from Boston College. And Corbin, this is not a big man. This is a 5'10", 180 pounder. So, right? but uh, but but he is dynamic. I mean, this guy—it's like this guy is charged to a battery. The the way that he comes out of his breaks, the way that that he catches the ball and makes people miss. I I like the physicality after the catch as well. He's competitive, and you have to bring this guy down. To me, there's a little bit of Steve Smith kind of an element to his game that I just really like how competitive he is. I like the fact that he completely committed himself to the 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 workout. Uh, preparation. I mean, this is a guy who was in good shape before, is even better shape throughout the workout preparation. To me, that just shows how important the game is to him. And I'll, I'll just end it with this. Again, I think Jackson Smith and Jigba, going back to Ohio State for a moment, is a spectacular talent. But Corbin, Jackson Smith and Jigba caught 10 touchdowns, 10 over his entire college career. Zay Flowers caught 31. Now, again, I mean, I, I'm talking about, the again, when you're a big guy, to say proof is in the pudding, it's always kind of a joke. But the proof truly is in the pudding sometimes. It really is as simple as who makes plays and who does not. Zay Flowers does. I don't know that he's in play necessarily for number 20 overall, but damn it, if he's available in the second round, this is the kind of playmaker. And there's a lot of them in this class. Josh Downs from North Carolina is another one that's out there. Um, that I think is going to be drafted right around that same kind of time period. I, I think that Seattle has to take advantage of this wide receiver class right there in that sweet spot, the late first round to the early portion of the third round. I think you're going to see a whole bunch of wide receivers come off the board there. Zay Flowers, to me, is one of the better ones in this class. I, I think that he's going to wind up proving that in the NFL, and I think that he can do it in Seattle with the help of the two dynamic receivers they already have. But even if one of those would go down, I think that Zay Flowers has the ability to play outside as well and be a special teams guy. And it's that total package that is one of the reasons why I think that he fits in nicely with the Hawks. I'm going to tip off my or cap off my top three needs on offense too. But of course, I've got to go to the backfield and talk about running backs. But this is very similar to the defensive tackle situation. You just lost Rashad Penny. 
You lost Travis Homer in free agency. The only two experienced backs you have on your roster, Ken Walker III and DJ Dallas, who, by the way, is going into the final year of his rookie contract. And they have uh, they have Darwin Thompson, who is a practice squad guy. He's barely played in the league. He's the only other running back that's on the roster, got a future reserve deal. They need to add at least one running back. And I'm saying that with seriousness here. I could see them having a two running back class this year, or maybe they bring somebody in as a priority free agent and draft one, but they need running backs. And I want to go with the big body guy because they need somebody that can run between the tackles. This class does not have a ton of options that check off that box necessarily, unless you're going to be uh, taking Texas running back right off the bat, which we talked about that yesterday, the chance of that happening pretty slim in Seattle. But I really like Tajay Spears from Tulane. He doesn't check off that big bodied back element, but you want to talk about a playmaker running the football, catching the football. He's tough in pass protection and just watch the tape of him against USC. This is a guy that always elevated his game against better opponents and racked up a bunch of yards. He's tough. He isn't going to truck people, but he breaks a lot of tackles. He makes a lot of guys miss. He's explosive. He's got that second and third gear and I've seen him only scratch the surface of what he can do as a pass catcher. I think he could be the third down back, the compliment to Ken Walker the third, even though he's not that big 220-pound guy that can run between the tackles. Both those guys can run between the tackles, even though they're smaller backs, and you've got the passing game element that he brings to the table. He would be a guy that I'd be really excited about, maybe as early as the third round. I think there's a good chance that he goes on day two, and if Seattle picked him with one of their picks in day two, I would not bat an eye at it because I think he is a big-time talent that can do a number of different things. And him and Ken Walker the third in the same backfield, whoo boy. And you want to talk about explosiveness and dynamite, there'd be plenty in Seattle's backfield. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang. Make sure to check out the Locked On Seahawks podcast. We're free on YouTube or wherever you listen to your podcast for the latest episode as soon as it's available. Coming up on tomorrow's episode, we will have a special guest joining us to break down Seattle's offseason, including free agent signings and what's next in the draft and much more. You won't want to miss it. Thanks for listening in. Enjoy the rest of your Wednesday. Go Hawks.